The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold. Welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday evening, Tuesday morning. Thank you very much for stopping by and checking out the show. That was the corniest opening of all time. I don't know what I was thinking, ladies and gentlemen. I was just kind of in a daze. I've got so many things going on right now. Like, for instance, last night I made a jalapeno cheddar bread, and that was amazing, folks. Amazing. So uh, I did a jalapeno cheddar bread. I made some toast, melted a little goat cheese on there and put some strawberry jam from Farmer Carol. And uh, with that spice, that kick from the jalapeno with the sweet jam and the creamy uh, goat cheese, because I melted it in the uh, air fryer. It was delicious, folks. I just had a couple bites, gave the rest to my wife and uh, mother-in-law. And then today, I uh, went with my wife. We went to a dermatologist. So she's got these little skin tags and moles. <laughs> it's quite embarrassing for her. But no, she inherited them from her father. I mean, it's not bad, but she hadn't had them checked out in a few years. And some of them got a little bit bigger while she was pregnant because the hormones. So... We went to the dermatologist to have him checked out just to make sure, you know, there was nothing there. And it turned out, boom, none of them were actually moles. So everything is good. You know, no cancer or anything like that. Knock on wood. And I do have a wooden desk, so I just knocked on that, folks. So everything is good there on the home front. Willie G was great. He went with us. We didn't take him in. My mother-in-law stayed in the car with him. And I like to take him into those medical buildings and hospitals because... A lot of disease and stuff flying around in there, folks. So there's no reason to do that, ladies and gentlemen. All right, some other news. I see J-Mal over on Twitter. He's a member of pain.tv slash gold. He's been battling back and forth with some people that were or seemed to be defending Curtis Yarvin. If you remember, Curtis Yarvin is this guy who was funded by the transhumanist technocrat Peter Thiel, who has said that... Uh, transhumanism and Christianity are very similar because they both offer eternal life. Well, anyway, Curtis Yarvin, we did a series on him not long ago, folks, all about the new right, which I call the old left, and their push for a techno-fascist king. So J-Mal has been battling up there on Twitter with some folks that are defending Curtis Yarvin, it appears to be. So J-Mal, hat tip to you, my friend, for spreading the word. I'm seeing a lot of you guys over on Twitter calling out scams and scams 
schemes in real time as you see them being rolled out and it's amazing to watch you guys it's amazing to watch you just call it out call out the problem reaction solution loop i'm seeing you do it all the time now so my hat's off to you guys as well folks if you'd like to join pain.tv slash gold please do that eight dollars and fifty eight cents a month i think it is and uh half of that goes to mike moore half of that goes to me you get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as the thomas Payne podcast that's mike's show and you could download the mobile app that's included or access the website it's facebook like easy to use a couple thousand people on there like-minded folks who are fans of both the dust and gold standard and the thomas Payne podcast and you can share information educate people learn from people start groups in there just like facebook there's people learning about farming and gardening and canning and jarring loose head tony's over there he's great folks loose head tony knows all about gardening so a lot of great folks on there feel free to join us if you haven't done so leave us a five-star review at apple Podcasts and a comment we love that and it helps drive us up the charts folks remember we were 103 for news commentary about a week week and a half ago let's get that up to 50 by the middle of 2023 that would be fantastic i would owe you guys my life if you did that and uh, if you haven't done so please consider it i don't like begging but uh i will i will beg please please go over to donorbox.org slash dustin gold show and leave us a donation if you'd like to contribute to the show and help us grow and keep food on the table here at my house. Now, you can do that, folks. Eventually, people are going to have to get skin in the game. Some major changes coming to the way that this show is distributed. Mike Moore's going through some stuff over on his end, and I'll make some of those announcements in the coming week or so. And we'll also be launching this uh, RSS feed that has the ad-free full-length audio versions of this podcast that'll be a subscription-based service and we're working on that as we speak so hopefully in the coming few days to a week we will have that ready to roll for those of you who want the ad-free audio version of this show i know some people have told me they don't want to join pain.tv slash gold because they're not going to watch the video they just want the audio and they'd really like the full-length version so we're going to be setting that up uh, we're in the process, and that'll be rolled out very soon, ladies and gentlemen. So that's it. That's it over here on the home front. That's the housekeeping. Uh, I have been texting back and forth with my good friend Dan Golvach. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's gearing up to come back on, ladies and gentlemen, because he has been researching alongside listening to the last 10 or so episodes of the Dustin Gold Standard. He's been digging deep into CBDC. He's back looking into Elon Musk. And Dan's been studying theology and studying occult occultism and all this stuff for over 40 years so he wants to come back on and drop some knowledge on you guys so i uh, told him the door is always open to him he's a good friend of mine so he'll be back <clears throat> we're gonna have maria albanese on shortly as you know the healing doc is going to be coming on uh from twitter you can check him out and then there's some guests from the audience i'm lining up as well as farmer carol and some people from our birthing experience so there's going to be a lot of guests rolled out hopefully all packed into this month as we work our way to the new year 
ladies and gentlemen some new branding is going to be coming out a whole bunch of things we're working on here at the dust and gold standard for you folks at home ladies and gentlemen all right so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to get back into the international monetary fund central bank digital currencies for financial inclusion risks and rewards and if you remember correctly ladies and gentlemen we are listening to uh several people folks several people i just want to bring it back up i'm not going to go through their bios because we did that on yesterday's show all right so we have kristalina georgieva um she's actually hosting the panel discussion she had introduced uh, Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. So we have Queen Maxima. We're actually in the middle of listening to Queen Maxima right now. If you haven't done so, check out episode 109. You'll be able to catch back up. We have Kathleen Hayes. She is the moderator of the debate. We're calling her Kathy. Then we have the uh, Deputy Managing Director, Bo Lee. Uh, he's the Deputy Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. We're just calling him Bo. All right, so you guys don't get lost. Then we have uh, Cecilia Skingsley, and she's the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. And so we're just calling her CC. All right, folks. Then we have Vera Songwe. All right, and she's uh, tied into the World Bank, International Finance Corporation, UN's Economic Commission for Africa. We're just calling her Vera. And then we've got... The last one is Perry Wargio, and he is the governor of the Bank of Indonesia. So that's the Central Bank of Indonesia. He's the head of that. And I think if I remember correctly, ladies and gentlemen, let me just see real quick. He was also involved with, I think he was involved with the World Bank, if I uh, remember correctly, ladies and gentlemen. Where is it? Where, oh, no, sorry. He was executive director of the International Monetary Fund. I stand corrected, folks. So uh, this is the crew we're looking at. So we have, again, just so you guys don't get lost, we have Chris. All right. We have Queen. We have Bo. Or sorry, we have Kathy. She's the moderator. Then we have Bo. All right. Then we've got... CC, and then we have Vera, and the final one is Perry. And I'm just writing down a new, uh, a new uh, index for myself over here, so I don't forget, ladies and gentlemen. So we are going to pick this back up where we left off. I actually backed it up about 30 seconds. So we're in the middle of uh, Queen Maxima's uh, lecture here. And as you guys know, she's a big fan, ladies and gentlemen, big fan of central bank digital currency. And she's there to push that through the idea of inclusion for the unbanked and the underbanked. And we're going to get into that during the discussion tonight. I'm going to show you what a scam that operation is. And as I told you yesterday in episode 109, the whole idea of bringing in the unbanked, it's not because the central bankers here, these technocratic banksters, are philanthropic or they're altruistic folks. No. The reason why they're doing this is because 
because they need everyone in the system. So what she's talking about is telling the designers of this technology to make sure that they'll be able to include everyone down to the last redneck hillbilly up in the mountains of West Virginia, all the way to uh, the little African boy with the flies around him and a plate in his lip, because whether these people can access the internet or not, we need to make sure they are tied into the central bank digital currency system. This is a system of total control, ladies and gentlemen, a systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. The main objective of technocracy going back all the way to 1919, as we covered here, in many, many episodes. So we're going to go through this International Monetary Fund uh, presentation. And, and let me bring up one thing. just want to give you an example. This is a real-world example. And I'm starting to hear this stuff more and more. My brother-in-law, fantastic photographer, okay? He's a real estate photographer. And so his busy season is normally spring and summer. Uh, some fall, it slows down. In the winter, and he works for a company. He's a contractor. He's been with them several years. And he shoots uh, in and around Washington, D.C. So he'll shoot, I'm not even kidding you, 15, 17, 18 million dollar mansions, you know, apartments uh, that lobbyists usually buy in these buildings itself for one or two million dollars. And so they had their annual meeting. Uh, a couple of days ago and the bosses the owners of this company told them that it's going to slow down one they said that uh people obviously aren't selling their houses as much as they were because the prices are dropping now that interest rates are up which if that affects this area the dmv that's really like the district of columbia maryland virginia area then that's really bad because this area really is never affected uh, when the economy dives when there's a recession or even a depression because it's all bloated government money you know so if we see that happen that's going to be pretty dangerous and they also told them that builders are slowing down on new building projects which they do a lot of those uh photographs both of apartments condos you know uh, subdivisions high-end houses and such so he told me that's happening but what really caught my attention is he said they're in deep trouble because a new gig app launched for photographers to shoot real estate so he said you have all these amateurs uh just non-trained photographers picking up cameras and bidding on shooting real estate projects for say forty dollars he said and his company will get anywhere between three and five hundred dollars but i'm telling you they they shoot the house like it's for a magazine they also do 3d scanning with 3d walkthrough tours and they also do videos like video walkthroughs documentary style really high-end stuff beautiful stuff and so um he said what's happening is a lot of the agents are saying the quality doesn't matter anymore because the customers, regular people, don't care about quality. And they're just, they were just buying the houses so fast that they lost a bunch of work to these gig workers. So they'll just have an, an anybody, some guy who was doing Uber or Instacart last week, run out there for 40 bucks with a camera, snap some pictures, and upload them. So technocracy is a race to the bottom, folks, when it comes to 
you and me. And I've explained on the show here, everybody from the service workers being driven into the gig world to the artist being pushed onto Fiverr or Etsy or even this now, everyone selling yard sale stuff is on eBay or Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. People like myself that are content creators or Mike Moore were pushed into Spotify, YouTube, BitChute, Rumble, all of these type of companies. So we are being driven into the technocratic platforms and it's very dangerous because once you're on the platform and that is how you sell your skill say you're a high-end real estate photographer now you're at the whim of the technologists who write the algorithms and they create the bids and they can throttle how much money you actually make this is very dangerous stuff and he is not the first person in my personal life that i see who is affected uh, by the economy by technology right now i mean it is accelerating at warp speed ladies and gentlemen it is here this is why people need to start looking in the mirror being realistic about this and starting to work on what i said those five steps educate yourself and others insulate yourself from the coming technocracy the coming collapse uh start to segregate yourself from densely populated areas congregate with like-minded folks whether it be online at first at a place like pain.tv slash gold uh, or in real life build a support network and then five accelerate you need to accelerate your plans because the technocrats are accelerating their plans to drive us into the prison planet matrix ladies and gentlemen when i get back we'll pick up with queen maxima at the international monetary fund central bank digital currencies for financial inclusion risks and rewards from october 14th 2022 very important panel discussion ladies and gentlemen i'm going to take a very important break my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. And I see everybody out there. I don't know. The last 24 hours being drawn into the Elon Musk circus, folks. We covered Musk here over five or six episodes. Really in depth on Neuralink, his brain chip company, and showed you his ties uh, to Peter Thiel, the government, everything else that he's doing, folks. I mean, we covered who the real Elon Musk is. I've gotten into his grandfather on his mother's side being uh, one of the directors of the Canadian technocracy. I mean, we know who Musk is. And so this stuff going on right now is a complete and total clown show. I just can't believe certain people get pulled back in to defending him or thinking he's some kind of a hero. Folks, he's a government contractor. All right. Almost every one of his companies, I didn't dig through all of them, but Peter Thiel is behind him. You take SpaceX, for instance, that runs Starlink. All right. That's the satellites being launched all around the globe. You know, if you believe that, but I do. I I think they're going to basically run the fourth industrial revolution, the prison planet matrix. And so Peter Thiel was the first outside investor in SpaceX. Uh, with $20 million at the beginning. When he comes in at the beginning, that means he has, you know, a controlling say in these companies. I mean, Peter Thiel was the don of the PayPal mafia while Musk was in the PayPal mafia. 
These are very dangerous characters. They're fronts for the state. They're puppet oligarchs. They're transhumanists and they're technocrats. I just don't know why people get drawn back into this. You know what Elon Musk is. You don't really have to figure out what his game is right now. Uh, and, and then I'll bring this up because some people did ask, you know, what do you think this is about? Some people were speculating whether or not they were trying to create a situation to bring the government into this. Okay, major technocrats, folks, from George Soros on the supposed left. You remember him. George Soros, the unapologetic Jewish Nazi collaborator. And uh, all the way to people supposedly on the right, like Steve Bannon, they both have wanted for a long time for the social media companies to be turned into public utilities. And there were actually people back uh, when Trump was in power on the supposed right calling for this, calling for this. Do you understand what will happen if they're turned into public utilities? All right, first of all, because these social media platforms have effectively become the town square. This is where people do all their bitching and moaning and uh, politicking on Twitter and Facebook and other places. If they choose one of these companies from each of the sort of social media sectors, so if you took Twitter as the short form, you took Facebook as the uh, matching up people with their old high school buddies, if you took LinkedIn as a professional platform and say YouTube as the video platform and you turn them into public utilities, you then stop all other competition. Now, I think we're past this. I think pretty much the internet is a rigged joke at this point. But I'm serious about this. That's what will occur. Uh, there'll be no more competition. Those people will be the purveyors of truth. And that's what you're going to see locked in for decades to come. So if Elon is part of that, it would not surprise me, obviously. He works for the system. He does whatever he's told. He is not a free man. He's not some self-made billionaire running around. He is a puppet of the state, ladies and gentlemen. He's an extension of the state. So if you're having fun poking around on there and following that, you know, more power to you. But don't get drawn back into this. He's not Iron Man. He's not here to save us. The guy wants to drill a brain chip into your head. He wants to replace you with his uh, new robot. And uh, he's building the satellite system to run the prison planet. He is no friend of yours. He's no friend of mine. He's not cool. He's not hip. Uh, frankly, I don't even find him to be interesting. He's like a clown, basically. Uh, he was the best of the weirdo technocrats that they could put out there in a black leather jacket looking like uh, Knight Rider, you know, going out there. Uh, dressed up like Knight Rider or or David Copperfield with a black leather jacket with the stick-up collar. I mean, it's ridiculous at this point, folks. So uh, don't waste a lot of your time, all right? Keep an eye on his government contracts. Keep an eye on what he's doing with the military-industrial complex. Keep an eye on what he's doing with the other technocrats and the other transhumanists. Uh, don't be distracted by these tweets that are coming out that i don't even think they're his folks he probably has a ten dollar an hour virtual assistant pumping that stuff out just trolling people it's so ridiculous that people buy into this all right let's continue to something much more important than elon musk and this is the people at the top of the food chain the top level puppets uh the people who are the representatives the face 
the public relation managers of the central banks, of the World Bank, of the International Monetary Fund, of the Bank for International Settlements, of the World Economic Forum, these folks that are literally the uh, technocratic economic terrorists, these terrorists that topple countries to then go in and wave around a check and say, sell us your sovereignty, sell us your freedom, sell us your liberty, just like they've done here in the United States. People don't realize it. They don't realize we were conquered, but we were conquered. We live in a technocracy. We are under the culture of technocracy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I backed it up 30 seconds. Let's go to Queen Maxima. The ability to make and receive payments. As we know, traditional financial services create many roadblocks for the poor, such as high transaction fees, minimum account balances, or formal proof of identification. New, new digital financial services also face obstacles for the poor, such as low level of trust in digital systems, lack of smartphones, above, uh, certainly among certain groups, among other challenges. Okay, so you guys heard that yesterday in episode 109, but that's the whole selling point. Tug at the heartstrings. All these poor people, they can't get IDs. They don't have access to the internet. So as I said yesterday, and I'm going to do some research into the technology, we talked all about central bank digital currency, universal basic income, uh, the Ethereum platform and protocol, the company consensus, how they're actually building the technology how they're wiring this CBDC infrastructure together using existing banking infrastructure with partners like Visa and MasterCard and all the major banks. They're running a test right now in the United States out of the Federal Reserve for this. So what I think they're going to get to is there is going to be, there's either going to be some sort of a satellite-based internet system some sort of a smartphone that runs from this satellite some sort of a smart device uh, and or the rice size microchip that goes in your hand which i showed you it's a hundred percent real you could just google it uh, microchip in hand for payments there's companies here that already do it there's companies in poland that are doing it it's all very real. It's all out there. And so they're going to have a system that operates like that and or at the lowest level, the most uh, sort of basic tech level, you're going to run around with a, basically a credit card with some RFID chip in it that has your CBDC. Now, how people are going to check that and see what their balances are, I don't know. They'll probably put up kiosks like ATM machines that people can plug their card in or tap their card. It'll tell them what their balance is. But this is all coming, and that's what she's talking about. Making sure inclusion means it means enslaving everyone. That's what it means, okay? It's a system of total enslavery. So inclusion means, hey, we need everyone down to the last mud hut to be included in this system, guys. Let's not leave anyone out. All right, let's continue with the queen. CBDCs could help provide the best of both worlds, encouraging providers to lower costs and broaden access, while also incorporating the advantages of central bank money, such as safety, finality, liquidity, and integrity. 
Okay, so we've heard that before in the discussion for the World Economic Forum. One of the pitches is that the central bank brings the stability, therefore it brings trust, but the private sector, the commercial banks, are going to bring the innovation and the technology, right? And so the central bankers have already told the commercial bankers, listen, we won't cut you out of the loop. You're going to have a seat at the table, and you're going to manage all of the private accounts. So Dustin can still have an account at Chase or at Wells Fargo or at TD Bank or Bank of America or some local bank, you guys will manage those private accounts, but the CBDC is going to come from us, the central bank, and we are going to be the ones who handle the payment. We're going to be the middleman between transaction A coming from Dustin Landing and transaction B going to Mike Moore. All right, but you guys can handle signing the people up and all that kind of nonsense. So we know they're creating buy-in for all the different players that need to be on board with building the actual infrastructure to make this system work. Let's continue. CBDCs could also aid in upgrading and connecting payment systems, both domestically and across borders, with all the benefits of having interoperable systems. All right, so you heard her just there. That's what we just said. She's talking about upgrading the current infrastructure and having these interoperable systems. That means Visa, MasterCard, all these type of things are going to work. All the little tap machines and the uh, stick your card in and the swipe machines and all that stuff at the grocery stores, ATM machine, that's all going to work. We're going to use that existing infrastructure they have to that's how you get people to adopt the technology i've explained it before over at pain.tv slash gold the mobile app and the website are similar to facebook and it was done that way intentionally because for you guys you don't have time to go learn a whole new platform so you if you're going to build something now uh like a private website like if i was going to build one for the dust and gold standard and try to get you guys to sign up on there i've either got to make it work like twitter or i have to make it work like youtube or i have to make it work like facebook something that you guys can pick up easily because if you're going to go on there to hang out with a community of three four five hundred people a thousand people you don't want to have to learn an entirely new system and sit there for nine hours figuring out how the gold standard works no you need to be able to just use it like facebook or twitter um, so that's what they're talking about here. They're going to run this adoption campaign using all the existing infrastructure to be able to get people to adopt the new technology, CBDC, without a hassle. All right, And that's all part of bringing you into this system of slavery. We're going to lower transaction fees. It's going to be easy to use. It's going to be inclusive. They're going to get you loans. They're going to have all types of perks to drive you into this system. Who knows, folks? It might be like COVID land, the high school theater production. They'll be handing out sprinkled donuts. And uh, if they were launching it in October, they would have pumpkin spice uh pumpkin spice coffee uh for you guys to have here you know i mean this is the type of uh system these guys run this is the propaganda this is the marketing and so this is what they're talking about here but she is really focused on inclusion they want to make sure they drag everyone in to the prison planet system that's the way this is going to work but by bringing in the various countries and telling them they can still have so-called sovereign currency they could call it the u.s cbdc instead of the nwo cbdc and all the commercial banks and 
and the regulated non-banks and the visas and MasterCards. Don't worry. You guys all get a seat at the table. You all get to play ball with the central bank. All right, folks, when we get back, we're going to get back here to Queen Maxima. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard. I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. On pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold. And you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, let's get back to Queen Maxima. Here at the International Monetary Fund October 2022 panel discussion on CBDCs. Now, countries with limited financial infrastructure could also leapfrog directly to a CBDC arrangement connecting to an inclusive, safe, and efficient payment system. But all these possible advantages are not a foregone conclusion. The implementation of any CBDCs would need to be accompanied by policy reforms and safeguards to address difficulties and risks. These include low level of financial and digital literacy and operational challenges, including cybersecurity. Policy reforms should also prevent disintermediation. That is the danger that money will be held in large amount in CBDC wallets rather than as deposits in commercial banks. Right, 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 right. So that's one of the things she's talking about here is that large amounts of money will be stored in your CBDC wallet, your central bank wallet, instead of in the commercial banks. Again, I told you they have to get buy-in from the commercial banks. Uh, Even though all these guys are in bed together, folks, there's still human nature that comes into play. And so they have to make sure that they grease the wheels to get this system done. It's a top-down system, but they still need the worker bees to get on board with this. Now, as we've explained in the show, as far as the banks go, uh, these financial institutions, they utilize uh, BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street to go in and make large investments in these companies through buying up shares and then controlling board seats, and so they can push these companies in various directions you know they can get the ceo out of there if he doesn't get on board with it but that's what she's talking about there all right and so one of the ways and this is coming this is coming we went over this on the show the programmable money the expirable money this goes back again folks to the founding of technocracy incorporated and to its uh precursors the uh technocracy technology alliance 
uh, and those folks. And this goes back to the energy certificate where you're not going to be allowed to build wealth. So if they issue the CBDCs for whatever reason, Social Security, disability, UBI, whatever it may be, they can have them be expirable. So if you get 1,500 CBDC tokens today, they said, let's say that's equivalent to $1,500. They make that expire on the 30th or 31st of each month. So that way you have to spend it. This has all been talked about. This is all in the works, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's continue. That could make it unavailable for lending, for mortgages, or working capital for small entrepreneurs. A good design of CBDCs could actually give people more control of their transactional data and the ability to share it with a wider set of financial sector providers. Now, now, you ask yourself, who is she talking to? Is she talking to me? Is she talking to you? Giving people more access to their transactional data. I mean, folks, if you go out right now, if you're the typical American uh, running around with your credit card or your debit card, tapping it at the grocery store, you can open your Wells Fargo, your Chase, your Bank of America, your TD Bank app, whatever bank you're using, and you can see your transactions. What is she talking about? More access to their transactional data to help you make better decisions. And she's saying CBDC is going to be tied up in people's accounts, and therefore it's not available for investment and all this other stuff. It's fake. It's fake. CBDC runs the same as fiat currency. It's fake. It's a system of debt. They they can mint tokens all they want, ladies and gentlemen. They not only control the Monopoly board, they have the ability to promote, to, to print the Monopoly dollars while they're running the game. You know, so if all the money's distributed in the game of Monopoly, they literally could sit there and turn on a printing press, print more money, and fill up the bank. That's how it works. So it's so ridiculous what they're talking about here. And as if, like, you and I want to run around and look at more transactional data. What does that even mean? And I've seen them talk about this as one of the selling points in many lectures, in many white papers, and it's never explained. All right, let's continue. Yet, growing concerns about data privacy would need to be addressed by hardwiring personal data protections into the structure of a CBDC. Personal data protections. All right, that's the other thing, right? So one of the things they want you to believe, this again, this is part of the propaganda, is uh, if everyone goes to this new digital platform that some hacker, some fat guy in his mom's basement in Belarus, right, is going to hack in and steal your data. Folks, when you're transacting on this system, the central bank is the centralized hub. All the transactions pass through the central bank. So if I buy something from you at your farm stand and I have to walk up with my phone and tap it against your phone to transfer the CBDC, that CBDC is going up into the cloud through the central bank and then down into your phone, into your account. All right. So the only data privacy you have to be worried about is the central bank, the people creating the system. And that's not what they're talking about. Let's continue. It is clear that more dialogue, research, and trials are needed 
to show how and when CBDCs can best become engines of financial inclusion. Engines of financial slavery. That's what financial inclusion means, okay? It means everyone will be on the slave system. That's all it means. Get on the plantation. We need to get everybody. That's what she's saying. I'm just translating here uh, from Queen speak into layman's terms. Let's continue. Work is needed to understand the unique value addition vis-a-vis existing payment system, such as mobile money or real-time high-value digital payments. So how to proceed further? The Bank for International Settlements, the IMF, and the World Bank can help governments and certain banks to exchange knowledge and undertake research alongside academics such as those as the MIT Media Lab. Right, so she's talking about, as, as we told you, we went over this the other day. So it's the trifecta of the Bank for International Settlements founded in 1930. It's the Bank for the Central Banks the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, both of which were founded in 1944, okay, out of the Bretton Woods Convention up there in New Hampshire, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what she's talking about. The trifecta of economic terrorists are working together to get this done. And don't worry, they're going to do financial education through their commercial bank partners, you know, to get everybody on board. What do people sit around in the lobby of a bank and they get educated on how to use their smartphone to do banking? I mean, give me a break. Let's continue. Global platforms like the G20 and G7 can provide venues to develop common understanding and principles, and possibly even standards. Tech sprints, like the one run by the Indonesian G20 with the BIS Innovation Hub, gave us a chance to see innovation, innovative private sector, use cases and solutions. Okay, so she's talking about the uh, BIS, Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. We did a show on that on their Embridge project with their cross-border compatibility using Thailand, China, and others. So that's what she's talking about. And then we have this lady, Cece, here, Skingsley, who is the head of the BIS Innovation Hub. And you'll be hearing from her shortly. And the World Bank, the GSET, and possibly other donors can mobilize the finance needed to test and assist in the design and implementation of CBDCs in emerging economies. By bringing partners together, we can build more understanding on how to balance design choices between privacy protection and transparency, and to ensure both financial inclusion and financial integrity, and of course, stability. If designed properly, CBDCs could hold great promise to support digital financial systems that work for everyone. But that is a very important if. Right, and when she's saying this, remember, she is speaking to the elites. She's speaking to the technocrats. She's speaking to the economic terrorists, right? That's a big if. This inclusion, inclusion, you see where she keeps saying it? Everyone needs to be included, included. All that is, folks, is when we design this, how do we make sure 100% of the people are on this system, forced into this system, no one is allowed to escape the system? That's all that means. Inclusion is this word that people get hung up on. 
because they go, oh, we have to be inclusive. We have to have the brown boys and the Asian boys and the white boys and the Native American girls, and we have to be inclusive. See, it's a word that was introduced into the lexicon really heavily 20 years ago. And so when we hear it now, it tugs at people's heartstrings, and people perceive it to be something that is good, that is just, right? So what they do, she's beyond a virtual uh, virtue singling with the word inclusion. She's telling the bankers, we got to make sure that we loop everyone into this system. All right. I'm not going to say that again, but I want to make that point. I want to make that point so you understand how devious and evil these people are. Let's continue. So I sincerely look forward to today's discussion. And I thank you everyone for your commitment. And please do not forget the inclusion dimension of this conversation. Thank you very much. Okay, all right. I'm just saying it one more time. You hear how she closed it out? The inclusion dimension. The inclusion dimension. Do not forget the inclusion dimension of this conversation. Why? Because they have to force everyone into the trap, folks. If you want to have a system of total control over the means of production and the distribution of goods and services, then you need to have everyone on board. And Dan Golvach is going to talk about this when he comes back out, I'm hoping, in the next two or three days. Uh, because he is going to talk about how they are going to drive everyone into this. And he believes um, we may differ on this a bit, and we'll talk about it on the show, but he believes even the idea of homesteading will be out of the question. Because if you still need money to be able to buy things, as I mentioned on the show before, if you need a John Deere tractor, uh, the guy who owns that John Deere dealership isn't necessarily going to trade you for 25 sacks of potatoes that you grew. You're going to have to use money, and money is going to be CBDC. So they're going to be able to either program that to stop you from being able to buy the tractor, or they're going to take away your CBDC and freeze your account altogether because you own a homestead and you refuse to give up your piece of uh, rural farm property. So they have plenty of ways, folks, to drive you in. But remember, this is a system of inclusion. You will be included. You will be included in the slave plantation. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a break from the slave plantation. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard. I'll be right back from this break right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain. Dot TV slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and we are dissecting central bank digital currency. Very, very key element in all of this, folks. And we're going to be moving on past this topic shortly. I've got a couple more panel discussions to review with you, and then we're going to loop back in Wide Awake Jim and tie all this together. 
uh, with a pretty little bow for you folks. And then we're going to start to talk about uh, solutions, move into the solution phase of this discussion. And I'm going to start getting into some other topics that I have been reviewing, some books I've been reading, bringing in a lot more information. Because the more we are educated, the more we can start to design a better future for ourselves. That is the key to this whole entire show, The Dustin Gold Standard. This is what I'm working on. And it will get bigger. The messages will get clearer. The solutions will become more apparent as we move forward. Um, and as I start to find my footing here, ladies and gentlemen, because right now I'm just in the educating phase. We do talk solutions, but I'm really in the educating phase of this. All right. I roll it back so you can hear the closing statement from Queen Maxima and then her big applause that she gets, folks, because she is so inclusive. Let's continue. So I sincerely look forward to today's discussion. And I thank you, everyone, for your commitment. And please do not forget the inclusion dimension of this conversation. Thank you very much. Yay, inclusion! And then Chris is coming back up to well, the stage. You have been literally given a royal treatment on the topics of CBDC and financial inclusion. Um, Let us worship the royalty, a royal, royal treatment, ladies and gentlemen. So this is Chris, Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. You saw her in the World Economic Forum panel discussion on CBDCs that we reviewed in episode 108, I believe it was, maybe 107. I can't even remember anymore, folks. We've done so many episodes at this point. All right, let's continue. I told Her Majesty when we were coming in that uh, after her, my job would be much easier. I would be, uh, I would have much less to say, and I was right. So uh, bear with me. Uh, on giving you an image and then outlining three priorities for CBDCs to help. Now, 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 just let me ask you, like, what did the Queen say besides inclusion, inclusion, design, inclusion, inclusion? That's basically all she said. We have to include, include, this include, make sure the commercial banks get their cut of the action and we're ready to rock and roll. That's pretty much it. She could have just came up to the mic with a crown on uh, saying, I am the queen, long live the queen. And she just gets up there and says, look, make sure we drive everyone into the slave system, uh, figure out how to bring some kind of Wi-Fi to the uh, rural areas in the western countries and out to the mud huts in the uh, deserts of Mexico and uh, places like Africa, and then make sure the commercial banks get a slice of the action so these grifter scumbags get on board with the bigger grifter scumbags that I'm friends with at the central banks. All right, thanks. I'm the queen. Have a good day. It's pretty much what she could have said. Now they've got Chris here um, from the International Monetary Fund, and she just, this lady, the more I listen to her, I swear to God, my IQ just drops it drops it's it just drops listening to this woman but let's continue it's painful folks it's painful but these are the people who rule over us ask yourself while you're listening to this or watching this how do these people i showed this to my wife she said to me how do these people end up in positions of power i don't know folks 
I don't know. They couldn't find smarter people, but somehow, somehow they're advancing their cause. They're very organized, and they get shit done, ladies and gentlemen. They do. Get her done. Get her done. They get her done, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's continue with Chris. Here is the image. We have been uh, talking this last couple of days of the difficult time we are in, that our world economy is like a ship in choppy waters. Okay, so let me just ask you this, because we hear this too, and we know the history of the International Monetary Fund that she is the managing director of. We know the history of the World Bank, both of those organizations founded in 1944. We know the history of the Bank for International Settlements, the Bank for the Central Banks, founded in 1930. Well, if these people are all in charge of the economy, the world economy, they come, they write checks, they start wars, they write checks to get you out of the war. They'll write a check to rebuild your uh, water supply, and they get to hijack it and be in control of it. These guys set the interest rates. They cause inflation. They cause deflation. They print the money. They mint the coins. Now they want to mint tokens, digital tokens. They control everything. So how is the economy destroyed worldwide if these people are so smart and they're in charge? Well, folks, they are smart, but they orchestrated this horrible economy, which is how they're driving you into the slave plantation. Think about it. If I wanted to move you onto an actual slave plantation into Auschwitz concentration camp, what would I do? I would light your neighborhood on fire. You come running out of your house. I go, hey, I'm Dustin. We're here to save you. Get on the school bus. You and your family jump on the school bus, and we drive you off to Auschwitz concentration camp. We bring you there. The giant golden gate opens. You drive in. They've got a chocolate water fountain. You think you're there at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. They bring out little Oompa Loompas dancing around with their orange Trump tans. They're going, Opa, Opa, it's me, Trump. How you doing? Unbelievable. Great. Glad you came here. And then they would give you a good hot meal, tell you you just got to hang out for a couple weeks while they rebuild your neighborhood. You're just going to have to work here uh, to make ends meet. You go, okay, that's fine. And the next thing you do, they're beating you with whips uh, and executing those of you that can't work. I mean, seriously, this is what they're doing. This is who these people are. This is how devious they are, how brilliant they are. So they're collapsing the world economy, as we've seen time and time again with the panic of 1893 that created the rise of eugenics and technocracy to the Great Depression that then brought in Social Security and the Social Security number all the way to World War II. All of a sudden, they destroy all these countries. The World Bank comes in. The IMF comes in. They go, oh, we'll bail you out. We'll rebuild your countries. And now they have a system of total control. You see how it works? So when these people, these disgusting, filthy people stand up there, these economic terrorists stand up there, go, oh, it's such a difficult time. We went through COVID land, the high school theater production. We forced everyone worldwide to lock down their businesses. We destroyed small businesses and restaurants and bars. And now we screwed up the supply chains, which we control. Uh, They orchestrate the entire collapse, ladies and gentlemen, 
to drive you deeper into the technocratic slave plantation. So the solution to all of the problems they create, which they'll never admit they create, the solution to the problems they create is more technology. See, technology creates the problem, and then the solution is more technology. And this is how it works, folks. Unfortunately, in the end, I think you're going to come to realize it might take you to episode 1000, because I don't really say it straight out, but that technology and humanity, technology and the natural world cannot coexist. I had someone on Twitter write me and said, you know, technology, you know, in the wrong hands is abused and it's used for uh, unintended uh, consequences. No, Everything that is created, the technology that is created by the creators is intended for the purpose it is used for, which is the total enslavement of humanity and will lead to lead to the engineering of humanity out of existence. It's doing exactly what it's intended to do. It just sickens me listening to this woman, this economic terrorist here, sit here and play stupid. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, folks. It goes to show how evil these people are. All right, let's continue. Well, the image we can add to it is thinking of CBDCs as being a new fleet of ships, specially designed to be agile and to be able to withstand a choppier sea. They take people on new voyages, they open up new possibilities, and because they're issued by central banks, they offer more confidence that the ships would move safely. Yeah, the ships will move safely, ladies and gentlemen. So don't worry. The CBDC is a new ship, and it's going to bring you out there through choppy waters. And uh, don't worry. Only 99 out of 100 of you are going to fall over, uh, fall overboard and drown. I mean, it's disgusting. Disgusting listening to her. Is it not? Not just because of her voice and uh, just how annoying she is, but it's just disgusting. You can hear it. She's, they're driving you right into Auschwitz concentration camp. I mean, I think you're smart enough to obviously understand this. You can read between the lines here. Oh, yes, we created these problems, but we have this wonderful vaccine for you, and now we're going to have digital currency. This is all about inclusion. It's all about freedom and liberty and your ability to prosper in this technological prison planet hellhole that we are building around you each and every waking moment of the day because that's what these people do, folks. They meet at places like this International Monetary Fund panel discussion to talk about how they're going to enslave you. All right, let's continue. Like cash, they're accessible for all. But as Her Majesty said, we have to step forward with caution. And here are the three points of caution I would add. First, that we need to recognize the demand side dynamics. Better understanding of local barriers for inclusion, better understanding of why some payment instruments are preferred and others are not. Our capacity development experts on financial inclusion 
often see strong preference for cash, even when viable electronic alternatives exist, like uh, uh, e-wallets, mobile money. Why are consumers not using these products? Is it lack of trust in the payment service providers? Is it a preference for informality? Is it difficulty to access services? Or it is that it costs a little bit more for people for whom every penny counts. We need to understand that so we can then make a proper uh, information provision that covers for people how not using cash is better to protect yourself against crime and how if you use digital money you can graduate from payments to credit and that of course enhances financial inclusion okay okay so you got what she said right there and and this is important all right this is a plus for us uh just like i broke down um when we reviewed the world economic forum discussion on cbdc's and we talked about their pain points it's important because i've heard them talk about this as well what you're seeing here is they don't want to spark a full-blown organic revolution where we drag them out of their homes like Muammar Gaddafi and uh, pry their eyes out with a pickle fork. You know what I'm saying? With an hors d'oeuvre spoon. All right, they, they don't want that to happen to them. And so this is what tells you they're actually flesh and blood. But they're saying there are certain people that want to transact in cash. How are we going to get those people to move over to this digital system? So we, the elites, the haves, the rulers of the prison planet, the wardens, the social engineering class, we have to figure out how to socially engineer people into this system. Now, if you went back to Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Incorporated, he would say, if you don't want people using cash, just make it disappear just get rid of it and force them into the CBDC. But I think what they're up against is that let's say all of a sudden they got people like uh, my father, let's say the Social Security recipients, 20% of this country, and overnight they just said, you have to use a CBDC wallet and you're not allowed to take that out and cash at an ATM. Someone like my father might snap. He actually might. I've had an in-depth conversation with him. I think he might snap. And there are plenty of people like this. So that is an issue for them. Uh, but if they are thinking about it, and Dan Golvach brought it up, that they could just run another pandemic, some really scary simulation, like an Ebola style, and tell people that Ebola is growing all over the cash, it's dirty, and therefore the stores don't have it anymore. And if they can run that long enough, three, four, five, six months, people will eventually adopt it, and they'll just forget about it. And then when that pandemic ends... They just don't bring paper cash back. They just basically pull it all out of circulation. So there's ways they can do this. This is what they're thinking about. But it's very good to hear her talk about it because, remember, she's not talking to you and me. She's talking to the elites. The elites are talking amongst each other. We just happen to be analyzing what the elites are saying. Ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, more of this. I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv. Goal.
You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold and our wonderful friend over here, Chris, from the International Monetary Fund. Ladies and gentlemen, let's continue. She's over here talking about these three things that they have to focus on here when it comes to rolling out the central bank digital currencies. All right, here we go. Roll the tape. Uh, Secondly, we have to think of the supply side, the business models, and actually, Your your Majesty, you touched upon it, the incentive structures, the institutional setup, uh, so there can be a CBDC payment system that is worth the costs that it it is going to uh, require uh, from training to onboarding to ensuring data and cyber security. Uh, Last but not least, we do need to build it using lessons from existing payment systems. Like Indonesia, that pioneered interoperable technologies such as standardized QR code. At the fund, we have a very open mind. We want to learn from everybody. We want to offer a knowledge sharing platform so the world can move with caution, Your Majesty, but move uh, forward. And, and the thing is, they have to be moving forward, uh, in my opinion, very quickly. Because if they want to build this off the back of COVID land, the high school theater production, which for many people, that's over in their mind, right? So it's going to be very difficult to run the CBDC adoption campaigns off the back of COVID land, the high school theater production, and with uh, this mass inflation. Right, So they have to time the release of a lot of these things around the problems they create. So the solution has to pop up in line with the problem and the reaction they provoke. Now, if they run worldwide inflation for the next uh, two, three, four, five years, there's going to be a lot of homeless people. All right, And I don't know if a lot of homeless people are going to be interested in walking around with a rice-sized microchip in the fleshy part of their hand between their thumb and index finger. All right, Probably promises from the central bank that they're going to lift them up out of poverty when the people will be blaming the central banks, uh, I think, just like during the Great Depression. So that bred a generation of a lot of people like my late great-grandfather who never had a bank account because he did not trust the banks because he grew up during the Great Depression. All right, he ran a speakeasy. So they have to be very careful about the rollout here. I personally believe they're a lot further ahead 
than they actually let on. I, I think so. I think this has been in development for many years. I believe Bitcoin, I believe that most of crypto, if not all of it, was uh, part of actually testing out these systems. And now that we know that they're willing to work with the commercial banks and the regulated non-banks and these other financial institutions to make this happen and overlay CBDC using their blockchain technology built on top of Ethereum, utilizing companies, contractors like Consensus to do it and then combining it in with visa mastercard and other of these major major players in the financial sector who already have access to merchants and consumers this would all be on the retail side i believe that they could advance this faster than many people actually are talking about or want to believe i i just for some reason i don't think that they're having these discussions uh, out in the open here, unless they're a lot further ahead than they actually claim to be. And they wouldn't be putting this stuff out on YouTube and letting us watch it unless this is part of, believe it or not, the propaganda campaign, the normalization, the adoption. Now, I'm not part of this. I'm sitting here warning you. I'm not trying to normalize it. I say that it's coming because I don't see anyone stopping it. And my plan in my personal life, and probably you have similar plans or are trying to figure this out, is how the hell you're going to navigate it, how you're going to live one foot in it and one foot out of it or totally withdraw from it altogether. That's why we're paying attention. I am in no way trying to normalize this crap. All right, I I do not want to live in a slave system. At the same time, if I knew this was coming 20 years ago, I would have designed my life a lot different, folks. I would have been checked out. I would have been living in some mountain in West Virginia somewhere, uh, baking bread on a fire 10 years ago, sitting there and laughing at everyone like me and you trying to figure out how the hell we're going to navigate this thing. I, I mean, honestly, it's what I would have done. I'm not in a position right now, 41, to be able to do it. Uh, because I had a lot of uh, major life changes occur uh, in the last uh, few years that even if I wanted to do it right now, I just can't. I just can't. So, you know, don't ever become uh, like normalized to this stuff. You just have to understand this is what's happening and we don't see a resistance. So I don't understand how it's not going to happen. And I would assume because they're talking about it publicly that they're probably 100 steps further into this than we are led on to believe. All right, let's continue. Uh, So the ships can navigate to safe harbor and earn the trust of the passengers for their voyage. Uh, With this, I want to wish the panel a very interesting discussion that is worth a royal presence. Thank you. All right, so just one more thing, too. I, I just want to point out to you, I mentioned before, blockchain, right, which everyone was told was going to be the savior of us, the blockchain. Folks, it's a block, a cinder block that they're chaining you to, right, to throw you overboard or to keep you locked down on the plantation. Then she just goes out there, Chris, the managing director of the International Monetary Fund, and tells you CBDC is a ship, a ship that's going to go through rocky waters. It's a slave ship, folks. It's a slave ship. These people project they're telling you what it is. Dan Golvach is going to go through some of this with us because he studied 
occultism and Kabbalah and the whole spiritual side of this. It really interests me. I don't talk a lot about it on this show because this isn't really a, a religious show, but I'm going to bring Dan on and just open the floor to him and let us talk all about this because he follows a lot of their symbols, the stuff they do out in public. He knows all about how it allows them to have a clean conscious. Uh, they have to have this uh, karma that's intact when they are done because they gave us a chance to revolt. But she just went out there. She told you cbdc is this ship going through rocky water it's a slave ship folks it's a slave ship and she just said they want to put you all on it they want to put me on it they want to put you on it i mean this is who this woman is unbelievable i mean unbelievable that they're out there talking about this stuff uh right out in the open and again you can go find these videos some of them on youtube that have a lot of views it's less than a hundred thousand views so people aren't even paying attention to this it's so hard to comprehend most people would let's say they watch this they wouldn't understand what it is the only reason i'm able to analyze it in depth like this and break it down is because we have studied all of the other pieces of this, the technology, we're looking at the timelines, where they're working on CBDC, all the projects, the white papers. So I have a pretty solid understanding of everything that's going on. So when I hear them speak, they put out one sentence, I know the foundation behind what it is they're actually talking about and now you do too and uh, i think that's fantastic because the more people we can educate on this the more people will actually resist it you've got to wake up friends and family there's no uh there's no harm in trying to wake up more people now don't try to wake up people that don't want to uh, be awoken from their nap. People that just don't understand they're even enslaved and they don't really care. That's a waste of your time. Don't go bang your head against a wall. But people that you know that think they're woke on certain issues, try to see if you can wake them up to some of the stuff we talk about here on the Dust and Gold Standard. All right, folks, let's continue. Chris is exiting stage left. And thank you, Madam Gorgieva, for uh, launching this panel's ship, and certainly to Her Majesty for providing her insight and oversight for our panel today. All right, so this is Kathy from Bloomberg. I told you guys she covers um, a lot of like Federal, uh, Federal Reserve, Central Bank, stuff like that. All right, let's, she's moderating this thing. Let's continue. Uh, I'm Kathleen Hayes. I'm your moderator. Uh, I'm Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg Television and Radio in New York City. Very happy to be here in Washington, IMF World Bank meetings. It's always so exciting and interesting. I tell people it's like being at a giant cocktail party where you see someone across the room and you go to say hi to them and you're on your way over and then you see somebody else and then you turn around that one's gone but you see another person. And I feel this sense. Yeah, that joke didn't even work, lady. It's a giant cocktail party, and you look across the room, and you see one economic terrorist, and then you go over there to talk to them, but another economic terrorist jumps out in front of you. And they go, oh, I'm the economic terrorist of the day. No, it's unbelievable. These people are just so weird. They're so strange. Uh, but you see the elitist attitude. You're at a giant cocktail party, and you see one important banker, scum lord, and then you try to go talk to him, but some other creepy central banker comes out of the shadows, and you've got to talk to him instead. I mean, this is, these people are nuts. All right, let's continue. This year, being back here in person, everybody together, there's just an extra sense of what can I call it? Excitement, maybe a little bit of joy to see people and, and meet new people. So, and I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm truly 
honor to be here moderating this panel. It's a very, very important one with some knowledgeable and very interesting people. So uh, I want to start by introducing them, and they right in a row. Wow. She said people more times than Trump, like at a rally when he said, the wonderful people, the great people, so incredible, love people, hate people, terrible people, horrible people, wonderful, great, terrible, horrible people. All of you people in this room, so great, so stupid, so dumb, so smart, so intelligent. We love the dumb ones. Dumb ones are great. Smart ones are okay, too. Unbelievable people, so fantastic. People are people, and some people have no idea what other people have said. But I have never said this, but other people have said it. People are people, and we love them all. Believe me. Unbelievable, folks. Oli, Deputy Managing Director at the IMF. Cecilia Kingsley is the head at the BIS Innovation Lab. Fascinating what they're doing, moving ahead all these issues of CBDC, fast payments, and inclusion. Vera Sangwe, so much work in Africa to move these issues forward as well. Chair of the Liquidity and Sustainability Facility and co-chair of the high-level panel on climate finance for the UN. Perry Wargiro, uh, one of the countries moving ahead. They're not waiting for CBDC. They're drawing up the map and doing a whole lot more. Governor, Bank Indonesia, welcome to you all. Okay, so again here, folks, I'll just refresh your memory. We've got Kathy. She is the host from Bloomberg, covers central banks and the Federal Reserve. You have Bo there. He is uh, managing director over at the International Monetary Fund. You've got Cece. Uh, she is from the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. You've got Vera out of the United Nations and the World Bank. And then you got Perry. He is a central banker, the head of the Bank of Indonesia, ladies and gentlemen. So when we get back, let's jump right in to this enlightening discussion on the slave ship. They're going to bring us on to bring us to the land of unicorns and cotton candy, where all of us will have digital currency programmed by the central bankers, a system of total control. Ladies and gentlemen, I am going to take a total break. I'll be right back. This is Dust to Gold with the Dust to Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before the break, I reintroduce you to the wonderful cast of economic terrorists sitting up on the stage at the International Monetary Fund Central Bank Digital Currencies for financial inclusion risks and rewards, right? This is the panel discussion from October 2022. All right, let's get to this uh, panel of international criminals, international bankers, ladies and gentlemen. Before we get started, we want you to hear some thoughts from the IMF Youth Fellowship Program. This is a very interesting group. It gives an opportunity to 30 young professionals from around the world. You have to make it through, be at the top of 4,000 applications. Uh, and the idea is they join this group. They want to be uh, part of global elf efforts 
build forward better, and uh, joining the IMF at the forefront to respond to current crises and potential crises. So let's listen to them share their thoughts on digital payments and financial inclusion. All right, folks. Yeah, so financial inclusion. Again, I told you that's their tagline. Everyone is included on the slave plantation. No man will be left behind on this plantation. So you're going to see 30 kids out of 4,000 that applied. So there were 4,000 potential up-and-coming economic terrorists. Only 30 were chosen. And this is like Peter Thiel's foundation, right? The Thiel Fellowship, where he pays kids a hundred grand to drop out of college and work on projects for two years that then he comes and invests in if he likes them. So this is it, folks. This is a central bank youth, like Hitler youth, ladies and gentlemen. So this is it. Future technocratic economic terrorists. Here we go. Let's have a listen. In 10 years, payments will change towards a semblance of a cashless society. It will be a battle between cash and mobile money. I make most of my payments, most, literally all of my payments using my mobile phone. Historically, I use cash for transactions, but in recent times, I use digital payment platform for over 60% of my transactions. We must remember that more people have access to mobile phones than they do bank accounts in developing countries. I think a central bank digital payments app that prioritizes interoperability and accessibility can really leverage the uptake of mobile phones in low-income countries to drive financial inclusion. Invest a lot more in showing, rather than just telling, but showing the impact of financial inclusion and how that it extends beyond just having a transaction account. I believe strongly that this is the future of the financial sector and it's critical for that to be done. So you had three uh, Africans and one nerdy white guy. That's what made up that group there if you're over at the uh, audio podcast. So I don't know if that's representative of the, the 30 total, that 75% of them are... Uh, uh, Nigerian uh, prince scammers uh, in uh, part-time when they're not operating as economic terrorists. But apparently, that is the cream of the crop there, folks. That's the top uh, four of the top 30 of the top 4,000, ladies and gentlemen, 4,000. So that's pretty incredible. All of them are on board with this. So you can see this is the future. Over the next five to 10 years, there'll be a battle between cash and and digital payments so these guys are trained up they're ready to rock they're ready to bring in this system of total slavery ladies and gentlemen all right let's continue with the annual meeting here at the international monetary fund so what better way to get started uh with our with our discussion here today there's so many issues and i want to start with you bo uh, you know, one of the things that Madame Gorgeva just mentioned was looking at the demand side, supply side. Uh, when I look, when I see these young people so eager, I think there's a lot of us older people, you know, whether we we need inclusion or not, in terms of our use of these things. There's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of doubt. But when you look at the demand side, that's the demand side, supply side barriers. Uh, what are the, the ones when, when it comes to inclusion in particular that CBDC is potentially so well designed to address? 
inclusion. Now, remember, this woman is a journalist, supposedly, right? She's the managing editor of Bloomberg uh, Finance, Radio, and TV, or whatever. You think they'd be doing some journalism? No, as you could see, she's actually just a propagandist. She's a propagandist for the central banks. She's a propagandist for central bank digital currency. She doesn't question it. She never asks if it's a system of total control. She doesn't say, wow, this sounds like the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. What about this programmable money stuff? Do you think it's a little weird that the central bank could program what people can spend on, who they can buy from, when they can buy, where they can buy, uh, what time of day they can buy, what kind of products they can buy? No, no. She doesn't bring that up, folks. She's a complete and total propagandist for the central bank industrial complex. All right, let's continue. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen, for that question. Um, now, now, this is Bo Lee here. This is Bo Lee. He is uh, uh, managing deputy managing director of the International Monetary Fund. Little tiny guy. Kind of looks like Yoda. All right, let's get to Yoda from Star Wars. You know. No, I do. Yeah, that's him. All right, let's continue. The way we see it, uh, CBDC has the potential to break barriers to improve uh, financial inclusion, at least uh, in three aspects. The first aspect is that um, it can lower the hurdle for using money substantially for several groups. One group is uh, those people without bank account. And another group will be those people without smartphone because CBDC does not even require smartphone. Actually, the third group that CBDC can potentially help is those people without internet access, without phone, because CBDC can be stored in a store value card. So these are the potential group of people that CBDC can help. Okay, and, and let, me, let me stop right there. So he says, people that are unbanked, right? We know that is a catchphrase. Uh, people that have no smartphone and people that have access to no internet because it could be used on a stored card. So you're walking around with a credit card with CBDC or a debit card with CBDC. That's where Visa comes into play in all of this. And you can just spend it. Of course, you don't know what your balance is, right? Unless, of course, like I said, they'll have kiosks around, uh, like ATM machines where you can check your balance and such. So they can already do that. People can already do that in places where, let's say, they don't have the Internet. That can already be done. Now, as far as the unbanked goes... Uh, right here in the United States, because we know they use that here as well. I just want to show you some numbers real quick. This is from bankingdive.com. Uh, it says COVID-19 brought unbanked percentage to record low, FDIC says. Well, the reason why that happened is, if you remember, when they were handing out the stimulus checks, they were forcing folks to basically go online and attach your bank account 
to the COVID stimulus to get your check quicker, to get your payment quicker. Otherwise, you had to wait for a check, and they were telling people there was a backup. Remember the USPS, United States Post Office, had a backup. There was all these problems. COVID shut it down. That was all intentional, all orchestrated, in my opinion. In my opinion. It only makes sense. It's common sense, which is what we use here. So they orchestrate this supply chain collapse in the delivering of the mail to force people to open a bank account. Uh, which they made it really easy to do online. Remember, all that changed during COVID land, the high school theater production. So you can open a bank account, then go on the IRS site, plug in your bank account number, and attach that up to your Social Security number, and then get your payment right away. But if you look at these numbers, this is from October 26, 2022. It says an estimated 4.5% of Americans representing 5.9 million households lacked a bank or credit union account in 2021. That represents the lowest national unbanked rate since the regulator began tracking the data in 2009. But then it says right here, roughly 1.2 million more households are banked compared with 2019 figures the FDIC found. Nearly half of newly banked households that received pandemic relief payments said the payments contributed to their decision to open a bank account. That's what I just told you, right? So they opened the bank account so they could get the payment. But you're looking at this. 5.9 million households lacked a bank or credit union account in 2021. Now, I'm over at U.S. Government Accountability. This is GAO.gov. And I just want to show you uh, some numbers I found here. It says, why might someone not have a bank account? And it says, consumers cited several reasons why they did not have a bank account. Oh, and I'm sorry, folks. I didn't put this up on the screen for the video audience at pain.tv slash gold. I meant to do that. So I'm going right back here to bankingdive.com. So ladies and gentlemen, you can look this up. The title of the article, COVID-19 brought unbanked percentage to record low, FDIC says. But now we're back at the GAO, Government Accountability Office. And the question is, why might someone not have a bank account? Consumers cited several reasons why they did not have a bank account. Among the top three reasons, consumers said that not having enough money, high or unpredictable fees, and distrust of banks were reasons they didn't have accounts. Okay, other reasons cited by consumers included privacy concerns, not qualifying for an account, banks not offering the needed services, and the inconvenience of bank hours and locations. So look at some of the reasons here that that 5.9 million people would not actually want to have one, right? And so you have high or unpredictable transaction fees, distrust of banks. That means the people don't want it. They're on bank because they don't want it. Other reasons cited, privacy concerns. Yeah, they don't want to be hacked. They don't want the government spying on them. Uh, and then you have um, the banks not offering the services they need, so they don't need the bank, and the inconvenience of bank hours and locations. All right, so these are people that don't want it. Now, finally here, I have a CNBC.com article from March 9, 2019, so this predates COVID, but you have 25% of U.S. households are either unbanked or underbanked. All right, underbanked means nothing. That just means the state doesn't like that you uh, aren't banking. 
And so it says, according to a 2017 survey by the FDIC, 25% of U.S. households are unbanked or underbanked. More than half of unbanked households cited not having enough money to keep an account. All right. So they're poor. So why have a bank account? It says more than half of unbanked households cited not having enough money to keep in an account. 30% said they don't trust banks, and 9% reported banks are an uh, inconvenient location, according to the survey. So 30% say they don't trust the bank. So I've got other numbers here. When you take the 5.9 million that are supposedly unbanked, you remove 30% from that, you're down to 4 million now. And I found some other statistics that actually brings that down to less than 2 million. Less than 2 million that are supposedly unbanked because they don't have enough money to say, keep a bank account open or they don't have a location near them. But the rest of them are all people that don't trust the bank and don't want bank accounts. So you're going to put CBDC into place for all 350 to 375 million people here in the United States because less than 2 million supposedly can't have a bank account because there's not a branch near them. Well, they can go online and open a bank account online now. They don't need a branch. So it's a total scam. So wipe that one off the radar this unbanked and banked unbanked and underbanked is a complete and total lie it's propaganda complete and total lie that's just a way that they create this idea of this fancy word of inclusion which is a lie as well inclusion means forcing all 375 million people in the united states into the system whether you like it or not it's called coercion, not inclusion. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. You see how sneaky they are, these economic terrorists? If you are an unbanked person because you don't want to be, they're going to end your ability to be unbanked by eliminating cash. That's the goal, folks. The goal is to draw you out of the shadows and force you into this system. And don't worry, because they're going to give you a card loaded up with CBDC on it. Let's go back to Bo Lee, Deputy Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. The second aspect that CBDC can help improve financial inclusion is because of its legal tender status. Because CBDC is an obligation of central bank. And the obligation of central bank is a legal tender in every country. So it is widely accepted. That creates potential value for everyone to use it. And finally, the third way we think CBDC can improve financial inclusion is through what we call programmability. Oh, pay careful attention, folks. There's a programmability. So old Bo Lee opens up financial inclusion can be improved through programmability. Let's see what he says. Through what we call programmability. 
that is CBDC can allow government agencies and private sector players to program, to create smart contract, to allow targeted policy functions, for example, welfare payment, for example, consumption coupon, for example, food stamp. By programming CBDC, those money can be precisely targeted for what kind of people can own and what kind of use this money can be utilized. Right there, folks. Right there, folks. Right there, ladies and gentlemen. So you're a managing director of the International Monetary Fund. In his opening statement here, on October 14, 2022, just a couple of months ago, just a couple of months ago, talking about programmability. What did he say? Food stamps, uh, food coupons, food stamps, et cetera, et cetera. Just like what I told you, they're going to start to take these people that hold their hand out to the government for regular payments that will come from Social Security, welfare, EBT, uh, EBT, uh, disability, and such. And these are going to be the folks that they're going to test this on. And so it will be programmed so you can only use it at certain places with certain goods. And he said only for certain types of people. So as I showed you in the original Technocracy Incorporated Energy Certificate documents going back to the 1930s, you are not allowed to transfer the energy certificates. You're not allowed to sell them. You're not allowed to gift them to anyone. They're only for you. That's what he's talking about here. So when they dump the CBDC into your wallet, Let's say you're receiving uh, food stamps. You can't transfer those or sell those to anybody else. They're marked for you, and they will expire. So you can't build them up and then all of a sudden go on a shopping spree one day. You're going to have to use them within that one week, one month, one year window, whatever it may be, whatever it's programmed to be based on the blockchain smart contract. And then you're only going to be able to buy from certain people for certain things. And this is going to end up being for everyone, folks. I told you, the technology allows them through artificial intelligence and algorithms to program the money in actual real time. I believe that it can actually be targeted down to each individual token. All right, let's continue with Bo here, Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. Right now, economic terrorist number one on this panel. Example for food. So this potential programmability can help government agencies to precisely target their support to those people who need support. So that way can also improve financial inclusion. Of course, I want to end with a caveat because CBDC is not a panacea. CBDC cannot solve every challenge in financial inclusion. There are some aspects of financial inclusion is not related to technology. For example, financial literacy, digital literacy. So CBDC has to work with other policies together to try to improve financial inclusion. I stop here. All right, so what he's saying there is they have to have some other organization, some other group has to work on the financial and digital 
literacy. So we got to step up the game in the public indoctrination center school system around the world to indoctrinate, propagandize, brainwash, and mind control the children, the next generation, into the new system. That's all they're saying, teaching them about the new financial system and the new technological digital system. You need to raise the children to grow up inside of the culture of technocracy so that there will be no resistors and so that everyone will be included. That's what inclusion means. That's the theme of this show, inclusion. That's what this means, folks. That's what he's talking about. Little Yoda over here. All right, let's go back to Kathy, the uh, host of the panel. Vera, this is a good place for you to follow up because 1.4 billion adults uh, in the world, 24% remain unbanked. And again, this is something you worked on so many issues in your years of work in Africa, uh, and this is among them. And when you think of what the blockades are, because there's got to be demand, right? Obviously, demand people who don't even have a bank account are certainly going to be eager to involve themselves in these systems. But there are things that, despite how much they want it, maybe they can't get it or can't do it. Okay, so now you understand, because you have the propagandist here from Bloomberg talking about Africa. So you have all of these in their mind, the mud hut people, Right, these indigenous mud hut people that just live this uh, natural life and uh, they don't have bank accounts. So how are we going to get this rocking and rolling? So now you see why this UN lady, this world banker here, um, Vera, is on the panel uh, because she's working on the UN project in Africa. Now you understand why they had three African kids out of a total of four featured in the video because i told you the system of inclusion has to include everyone so even the mud hut people have to be brought into this system of slavery i mean in all honesty folks i feel very bad for these people uh with what's about to happen to them and remember we covered here one of these uh, billionaire scumbags funded, a big-time technocrat, funded a test pilot project in Africa where they got 5,000 people hooked up on universal basic income. And I don't know, they said that they lived on $1 a day. So they were giving them something like $22 a day. And I told you, this is how you hook people into the central bank, World Bank, uh, Bank for International Settlements, International Monetary Fund, World Economic Forum, United Nations, flimflam operation. You take people that were just doing quite well for a thousand years in the culture that they live in, and then you come in there with people like Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and the Clintons, and you start messing around with their culture. And you go, wow, these people are poor because they live on the equivalent of a dollar a day. Well, they're out in the field hunting lions to eat, all right? They grow their own vegetables. They have a culture. Well, no. First, we have to get them addicted to materialism. This is the same thing as a drug dealer getting people addicted to drugs. You go and you hand out uh, bags of free blue meth, you know, crystal, if you're Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. You go hand out free bags of the blue meth and get people hooked on it and then you can turn them into customers so what these guys do is they go in and they give people uh electricity and flat screen tvs and tablets and smartphones where they can watch stupid youtube videos all day and hang out on tiktok and then they get them hooked into it and then they realize 
oh my god we need two hundred dollars a day to be able to live like this not a dollar a day and before you know it you have them hooked on the drug of soulless mindless consumeristic materialism and then you say that they're freer now they're freer they have more liberty even though they're completely enslaved because technology is a system of enslavement that's what it is it's a system of enslavement and so you enslave them now but you say they're freer and now you're going to include them in the freedom machine in this central bank economic terrorism freedom machine so that they can buy gold uh, adidas t-shirts and nike shoes you know they can get the latest air jordans and then they could strap their kids up with teletubby backpacks and dora the explorer t-shirts and then you say they're free but you got them hooked on materialism now they need a bank account they need to have a smartphone they need access to central bank digital currency through the form of universal basic income because you now got them addicted to this materialistic nonsense this soulless garbage and that's it folks this is how the central bankers work it's quite obvious i mean we're obviously boiling this down into very simple terms layman's terms but i think you can understand i really think you can I think you can see it now. And I'm not sitting here and criticizing you if you're someone who loves to have expensive things or whatever. That's your choice. But you can see how people are brainwashed into it, how they're coerced into this system. It's really, frankly, disgusting, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I'll be right back. Let me take a quick break, a sip of tea here, and calm down. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Folks, I think you can see now why if you're a homesteader or you're thinking about being a homesteader or like a quasi-homesteader going half Amish, why these people despise you. If you figure out how to scrape together the cash to buy a piece of land out in the middle of West Virginia and you live off the land and you need very little cash. Like let's say everything is paid off. Some of these counties out in West Virginia, your property tax is like $200 a year. If you own 15 acres, whether you have a house on it or anything, they don't have a tax inspector guy that goes out there and checks your property. So you can build anything on them. They're basically these unregulated territories, unrestricted where you can do whatever you want. So let's say, I don't know. You you were able to put all your uh, pull all your money out of everywhere you've got it. Sell everything you got. You got an inheritance. You're lucky. You go out there, and I'm talking in West Virginia. You could buy um, in some places. 10, 12 acres for under $100,000. Let's say you did that. And you can find ones with a hunting cabin on it that has a electricity run out there and then has a, a septic tank and a well. So let's say you got that. And then real cheap, you built yourself a house for like $50,000. So let's say you've got $150,000, $200,000 in this. And you're growing your own food, you're hunting, and you don't really need much money. Like somehow you got to come up with, I don't know, $1,500 a month, right? To, to be able to, um, I don't know, keep maintain your car, get some gas for your car, stuff like that. 
So you don't really need to do much. Well, they would say you're poor. Well, are you poor if you grow your own food, you hunt your own uh, you know, animals for meat, you butcher yourself, you cook, you're just kind of living Davy Crockett style out there? No. I mean, in your mind, you're very wealthy. I mean, you own your land and you're actually free. You don't uh, weigh your life based on how much stuff you accumulate, right? But to them, they're going to say you're poor. You're poor and they have to come in and they have to bank you and they want to include you in the system because it's just not fair that you don't have 14 flat screen TVs and 29 tablets sitting around there. They don't like that. They don't like that because they need to get you hooked on it, on the drug, the drug of materialism to push you into this system of inclusion, which is a total system of slavery where everyone is included in the slave system. And so that's why they despise you. That's why they've been sending Bill Gates out there to buy up all the farmland. That's why they have been using all their companies to buy up all the open land. This is why the federal government, the state governments control over 50% of the land in this country, because they don't want people doing that, because you truly are free of them. Now, yes, they could come over, they could crop dust you and kill your crops, they could come in with the military, they could steal your land or something like that. But if the social score system and CBDC doesn't scare you, then they have to do it by force. And they don't want to have to do it by force. They want to do it by force through the technology, not with actual guns. They don't want a David Koresh scenario. That's counterproductive and it's a waste of time for them. So instead, they're going to drive you out of the brush, out of the bush. They're going to drive you out of the mud hut into the system of materialism. And that's how they lock you down and control you. And they want total and complete domination nation over every single person on this planet and as you know it's not just the people not just the humans they want to upload their technocratic operating system into everything folks into dna into the plants and the animals that's why they're gmoing everything this is why they cloud seed they want to control the air they want to control the oceans they want to control the fish they want to control the birds they want to control the mosquitoes which they genetically modify they want to control everything folks down to the last blade of grass which they genetically modify so as you can see it's a system of control ladies and gentlemen it's really disgusting but i think with everything we've talked about here in 110 episodes uh, from transhumanism to eugenics to technocracy to now getting into the financial control system cbdc's ubi we've gotten into the metaverse internet of things internet of bodies I mean, we've touched on a lot of stuff here at the Dust and Gold Standard. I think it is starting to become clear to you what these sick, disgusting, power-hungry control freaks are actually up to. And I'm telling you, it leads to a physical world uh, that is a digital prison, and then the digital world that you live inside, the metaverse, and then this biological hijacking that they are focused on, which is genetically modifying humans, putting brain chips in them, turning them into transhumans, transitional humans, to lead them into a post-human world, which is a no-human world. That is what these people actually envision. So it's it's going slowly, but they are actually advancing pretty damn quickly. All right, let's continue with this, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, no, um, thank you. And first of all, uh, thanks to the IMF, uh, Christalina. So we're listening to Vera here. She's with the United Nations, with the Africa Project, and also with the World Bank. Let's continue. And Maxima for uh, uh, putting this conversation on the table. I think um, 
three things in central bank digital currencies. Yes, we all know, and uh, Queen Maxima said, 70% more people are now banked. But to be banked is one thing. To have access to your resources is another. To have access to your resources in a timely fashion is an even more important point. And if you think about somebody in rural Rwanda who is sick and needs resources transferred very quickly to them from somebody in Kigali, normally in the normal banking system, you need to wait two days to get access to those resources. With central bank digital currencies, you could have it immediately, and you could use it immediately. That's one thing. So it makes inclusion faster, and it actually spreads it. And so that's one of the most important things, I think. That Okay, so let's pause there for a second. So again, inclusion. It makes inclusion faster. So let me break that down for you because that's a code there. So she has to use the example, tug at the heartstrings. If someone is sick and then their friend in another city wants to send them money money in the normal commercial banking system, that's going to take two days. But with CBDC, it's immediate and therefore it makes inclusion faster. Well, they're talking about including people into the slave system. She's talking about the adoption. It makes the adoption campaign work faster because of course if you're going to tell people they could transfer money faster instead of just the commercial banks doing it in the system they have now they can't do that they needed to move to the central bank digital currency system so now that's going to be a key feature of it so when arsenio hall from coming to america is speaking up here oh i'm sorry this is vera not arsenio hall from coming to america it looked like a character that he was playing i got lost for a minute (laughs) Sorry, folks, I have to entertain myself at the same time. But no, I'm telling you, this is what they're talking about. Inclusion faster means faster adoption for them, for the economic terrorists, the central bankers. Let's continue. You get. And on the African continent, for example, we have now the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. Christina, Christina made mention the fact that there are all these boats in choppy waters. We know that with the crisis and COVID, one of the things that we have faced is supply chain disruptions. Part of the supply chain disruptions are because of payment systems and settlement systems that cannot clear because each smallholder uh, trader is demanding so little that there is not enough payment systems to feed into those processes. And so what you need is when you have central bank digital systems, you can actually agglomerate that and clear them much faster. Oh, okay, okay. So the supply chain issues caused by COVID land, the high school theater production, are the fall of the current payment systems to get the different vendors along the supply chain paid. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We can't do that, though, because the transactions are so small that we can't move the money around. What a crock, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue. And much quicker. So it makes small business owners access their commodities much faster. They don't have to wait too or three weeks to have enough demand to be able to supply, you can continuously supply and make that happen. So that's another, I think, very important financial inclusion point. And finally, as uh, was said, Right, right. So pause there. So now you see one of the reasons why they orchestrate the supply chain issues is to force adoption. That's inclusion, adoption, inclusion, adoption, inclusion. You got that? So now there's supply chain issues. Hey, we can make it faster with CBDC and make sure your supply chains open back up. Does this not sound eerily familiar to the way the mafia used to run neighborhoods, let's say in New York City? 
right? They would go in your store and they would say, listen, we will provide protection for $200 a week. Well, I don't need protection. What do you mean? There's no problems. Yeah, there's some bad gangs in this neighborhood and we can make sure that your store doesn't burn down. Meanwhile, uh, the guy's leaning over the counter flicking his uh, Zippo lighter, acting all tough. We can make sure your store doesn't burn down. You know what I'm saying? And so you give us $200 a week and we'll make sure we'll protect you. A protection racket. So that's what they're saying. We shut down the supply chains, and now we'll open them back up if you switch over to central bank digital currency. Folks, this stuff is so obvious, so obvious. They're not even hiding it. Let's continue. It is backed by the central bank. And so one of the most important things of any currency is that you should have trust in it. One, we need price stability, and then we need confidence and trust in the currency that we are using. And I think the fact that it's backed by central banks with the regulatory robustness that is needed, particularly today, is quite important. If this was true, if this was true, people would be standing up and saying, we don't trust the central banks, we have mass inflation, and we're all going broke right now. Uh, we know the matter of three months, I'm going to be living in a tent under a bridge uh, inside of a uh, refrigerator box put together with uh, shipping tape that I pulled out of the dumpster at the UPS store. I mean, I'm serious. If, if this was real, people would be standing up saying, we have no trust in the central banks. Look at the system you created and the situation that you created. Seriously, folks, it is a joke. Let's continue. I think the reaction from the central banking world is mixed, isn't it? Uh, some people are, are running towards it. Some are more cautious. And so we're now going to get two central banking voices in here. And, and that's not you first. That's Cecilia. You are the, the main central banker here. But Cecilia, you're at the BIS Innovation Hub now. That's as a recent job. But you were the, the Swedish central bank. So you can you have that central banker kind of skepticism and how is this going to work? And a lot of it has to do with complementary policies. And that strikes me as a very bland way to say there's a lot of complicated stuff to figure out here. So what's on your list? All right. So this is Cece here. She's the head of the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub. We went over that uh, briefly on the show. I showed you their document on Enbridge, which was their cross-border project they were running with China, Thailand, and others. All right. Let's continue. I come from the oldest central bank in the there world. There you go. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Rick's Bank. And uh, uh, we, we started to look at this um, a couple of years back because we saw uh, the very rapid change out going out of cash into digital payments and we were sort of agnostic about that but uh, we thought okay so how do we meet poly public policy objectives in a, in, a, in a future where cash no longer works uh, so it, it's really great to be able to work pause you see that public policy objectives where cash no longer works so how are the central bankers and the Bank for International Settlements here going to meet the policy objectives where cash no longer works? See, the policy was already set in stone. These guys are building the technology to match what the policy is. <laughs> it's wonderful, the nuggets that you pull out of this stuff, folks. Let's continue. With these issues now on a, on a global scale, so I'm happy to be here. So money is a fantastic invention that has been created by mankind to make economic values portable. Uh, but mankind has also struggled over history uh, how to arrange money systems. And we have learned 
many times the hard way that uh, if only the private sector is doing it, it doesn't end well. And for the best part of 100, 200 years, we have this structure where we have central banks sitting at the core of the monetary system, but we have most of all uh, private entities kind of handling uh, mm -hmm. the products. Um, and as technology... Uh, and there you go there. She admits... I mean, for those of you that know this stuff, that's no secret, but she admits right there the central banks create the system and then the so-called private sector banks handle the actual marketing and selling of the so-called products. All right, let's continue. Moves. We have left shells and gold and, and uh, copper coins and the likes behind us. Uh, and we're now slowly getting out of notes and physical money altogether and into the digital world. So it makes a lot of sense, I think, that central banks go out on this journey and thinking about, all right, so technology flips, um, the, the uh, um, uh, appetite for doing this in new forms is rising, how do we make sure it is safe and efficient and inclusive? Um, so it's only when... Safe and efficient and inclusive. This is what the economic terrorists do, folks. They wake up every day and they think about how to make central bank digital currency, digital money, a digital payment system, safe and inclusive. This is what they do. They love you. The bankers are altruistic people. I don't know if you've known this. Uh, many of you would just think they're greedy fat cats. But no, they're actually philanthropic, altruistic folks who wake up every day. They're Mother Teresa of banking. That's who we're talking about here. It's the Gandhi of banking, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue. These objectives are fulfilled that people will actually trust money uh, and the payment systems. So, as has already been touched upon, uh, uh, introducing a CBDC into a society is not just a, a universal solution. It has to come in a package. Uh, so, digital literacy, understanding what it means to have, first of all, have access to a digital ID and understanding what it means to, to use such a thing. A digital ID, you got it right there, folks, a digital ID. And as I went through the company Consensus, founded by Joseph Lubin, who was co-founders with Vitalik Buterin, who was funded by Peter Thiel to develop Ethereum, Consensus is working on the digital ID, and they've been involved with meetings with ID2020, which is Bill Gates' uh, funded organization. Digital ID comes into this, folks. So you'll have digital ID, CBDC, UBI, and then as you saw when we looked into the digital ID and government blockchains through consensus, they're talking about forced vaccinations in order to get UBI. I mean, it's all there, ladies and gentlemen, a system of complete and total control. I'm going to end it right there for today. We can only take so much at a time on this. I want you to absorb it. Some of this stuff, you guys email me, you say you have to listen to the episodes a couple of times to really grasp everything. And I don't want to blow your mind away i want you to absorb this and try to understand it but when you listen to these people talk it's as if the system is already here it's already coming it's a foregone conclusion right so the biggest takeaway here folks is inclusion equals 
coercion. Remember that. My name is Dustin Gold. I'll be back tomorrow with episode 111, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in. Leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts along with a comment. Join us at pain.tv slash gold for $8.58 a month or leave us a donation at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. <laughs>